RTL Original Podcast. Is the second song on an album the best or at least the most important? Well, taking inspiration from the iconic Blur smash hit of the same name, join me, Stephen Stepslow, as I look into this loose theory and discover that an incredible amount of LPs have an absolute belter of a song too. We also speak to international artists and musicians and find out what they have to say on the matter, with some surprising results. Each week, we will be running the rule over a classic song too and inviting guests to agree or disagree. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. This week, we are taking on two very different tracks from an act that shaped the sound of the early to mid-90s. The Prodigy had a huge influence on anyone born in the 70s, and their imprints are to be found across any number of latter-day genre hoppers, such as Enter Shikari, Bring Me the Horizon, Run the Jewels, and perhaps Linkin Park. The beats, the styles, the controversy, the explosive live shows, the contact lenses, and those flaming hairdos. The lads from Essex went from bug-eyed ravers to megastars in two short leaps. The Prodigy emerged from the early hardcore scene and along with Alternate were arguably the principal ambassadors for hardcore making dents into the 90s top 10 charts. The Prodigy's top three hits, Charlie and Everybody in the Place from debut album The Experience, were classic breakbeat cuts, but serving up a swerve ball that few had seen coming, the band released what could be considered an all-time classic. Liam Howlett sensed that the rave-slash-acid-slash-dance scene was becoming a little predictable and gimmicky, and he was looking to, hmm, breathe new life into his band's productions. The result then was the modern classic that we are talking about, released in the form of the 1994 and still incredible today LP Music for the Jilted Generation, which Howlett says is about all the kids who've grown up on this supposedly corrupt dance music. More adventurous DJs had already begun to slip the band's single, Their Law, into sets alongside tracks by Rage Against the Machine, Slayer and Fear Factory at rock clubs across the country, and mainstream commercial stations were reluctantly clearing space to get aboard the latest hype train. Their law is largely a response to Great Britain's Criminal Justice and Public Order Act of 1994, which criminalised raves and parts of rave culture, as well as the unofficial clampdown on legal raves. This resulted in the corruption of the rave scene in Britain. The song is a collaboration with Pop Polite itself, and the UK rap rock outfit Censor were actually first choice before Pop Polite itself, but were too busy, and one can now assume a teensy bit gutted. 
Howlett later said he regretted the choice of the album title, claiming it was never meant to be political. But with a track sampling speech saying, fuck em and their law, that could be a bit of the Middle Age regret creeping in. Whatever the case, when their law came out, it offered a swift kick to the shins to all that lay before it. Its blend of guitars and beats was monstrous and truly ahead of its time. It wasn't just a whole new track from a whole new album with an all new direction. It was important to still have some sounds and tracks that the old Prodigy fans could still relate to. So with tracks like Their Law and Voodoo People, which were a bit more extreme, Howlett wanted fans to forget all about the rules of dance music and find something new that sort of captured the rock side as well. We didn't just want to change into a rock band, he said, about leaving the rave scene. We started to play festivals and college dates and stuff. Just things with other bands, guitar bands, and just being around that environment inspired me to harden up our sound. It was the environment I was in. It also indicated the direction that would see the prodigy amp up on Fat of the Land, introducing the twisted personas of Maxim Reality and the dearly departed Keith Flint. In fact, Keith had cast himself in the same mould as the likes of Alice Cooper and the Sex Pistols' Johnny Rotten, a comparison that he most enjoyed. May he rest in peace. Their law is then a crucial part in what would then become the future of the prodigy. So, we move on to another track too that I know people are going to disagree with, but for me, Breathe is better than Firestarter. So yes, I've said it. You can file a complaint. I'll bin it. Often overlooked in favour of the deranged pyromania of its predecessor Firestarter, the song is an undeniable banger, but there's much more to this slab of hybrid rock electro than meets the eye. With this loose-limbed, snarling track as the perfect focal point for the Prodigy's visceral high-octane sound, the band reached dizzying new levels of success without compromising their outsider appeal in any way. Breathe is the prodigy at their peak. The twanging guitar line is instantly recognisable and the throbbing bass has shook many a chest since debuting in 1996. Having reached number one in the United Kingdom, Breathe ended up becoming the prodigy's second successive number one hit in that country. You can guess which one was the first. In 1997, the song's official clip directed by Walter Stern won the prodigy two MTV awards, including one for the Video Music Award for Viewer's Choice. 
To tell you the truth, Howlett said, I think I wrote Breathe before I did Firestarter, and it was an instrumental for a good while before release, with the band playing it live on stage in their evolving set. The guys were just dancing to it and stuff, Howlett remembers. I thought it was so obvious to put a vocal on it, and I think what happened is they came around to the idea and they knew the track anyway. Firestarter and the, yes, slightly problematic through the 2022 lens, Smack My Bitch Up, may well seek to top the fave listicles, but Breathe is a far better constructed tune. It's fierce, fiery, and holds up better than either of those supposedly bigger hits. There was no deep meaning behind it, however, with Howlett keen to stress it was merely an outlet, a feel, a vibe. It was like, you want to taste me? Come over here and taste me, he says. And then Maxim was like, breathe me, breathe me, breathe me. I'm not going to sit here and try to think of some deep meaning because it just hasn't got one. Live, Breathe took on a whole new level, with Maxim and Keith agitating each other as two opposing forces. It was just more of a confrontational thing between them two, Howlett says. Breathe is basically a full-on, almost punk dance track, following the template laid on music for the Jilted Generation. And as I serve game, set and match, Howlett says this. It has the energy of our other tracks, but it also has got the edge on Firestarter, in a way. And scene. In researching this episode, we trawled the usual fare and are massively grateful to the wonderful article written by Phil Alexander on Kerrang.com, where a large portion of the words found here have been pulled from. We were on MusicRadar.com, OnAndOnSounds.com, 53rdAndThird.com, 909Originals and TheProdigyInfo.com. This has been Song 2 for RTL Today Radio, and I have been Stephen Stepslow. Thank you very much for listening. We would appreciate greatly if you would drop in a star rating, if you would drop in a comment, if you get in contact with us and let us know where we're wrong on our Song 2 theory, maybe even where we are right. You could even let us know what you think is a perfect Song 2 for this particular podcast. Every little helps. Don't forget to subscribe where every Wednesday you'll get a guest interview where an international artist will give us their view on the Song 2 approach. Victim.